Please remain standing and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you do wonders for your people. That you hear us when we cry out to you. That you can do so much with the so little that we are. We ask that you come now and open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Lord, use me. I'm pretty much like those five loaves and two fish. I am not enough to feed this people. But I place myself in your hands and do your marvelous work among us this morning. And this is our prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Came across a very interesting letter this week, and I would like to read it to you. Um, it says, To Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafters Carpenter Shop, Nazareth, 25922. From the Jordan Management Consultants. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for the managerial positions in your organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only we have only we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you would want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. Much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation, and this comes without any additional fee. Thanks be to God. In this staff's opinion, most of the nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Hi, my eyes are messing up. I'm laughing too hard. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you, this is the best one, <laughs> that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Altheus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they have both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. 
All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Whole different perception than what Jesus would have seen. What lens filters what we see? How do we perceive? Studies have shown that 90% of error in thinking is due to error in perception. One shoe manufacturer decided to start selling shoes in the Congo many years ago. He sent two salesmen to scout the place. One salesman replied, prospect here, zero. No one wears shoes. The other salesman reported enthusiastically, market potential terrific. Everyone is barefooted. If he's going to sell shoes, he's got a captive audience. Perception. It took two years for Shello to perceive that I was a good husband for her. All she saw was I was too tall, too redneck, and scary eyes. <laughs> scary eyes. John's Gospel today, there's four different perceptions of Jesus and the situation. And we can identify with most of them. Sometimes we identify with each of them at one time in our life or another. And this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle outside Jesus' final week that's in all four Gospels. Do you think it could be important for us? The background of this, the other Gospels let us know John's cousin, Jesus' cousin John, was just beheaded. The 12 were returning from great ministry exploits. And all of a sudden, a massive crowd of 5,000 men and unknown number of women and children were rushing around the lake to get to Jesus. Jesus went away to be alone. His cousin just died. How do these people perceive him? The first group that we see is the crowd. What do we know about this crowd of people? First of all, they were following because of the miracles. Verse 2 says that. They were following because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. They were an unrelenting bunch of people. They hot-footed it around the sea to get to where Jesus was. They were only focused on earthly things. Did you hear what they wanted to do in verse 15? We want to make Jesus the king. Get us out of this mess. What was their perception? How did they filter what they saw? It was selfishness. Feed me, care for me, heal me, amaze me. We have a, I came up with a little running motto where I work because most everything we use is donated. If it's free, it's for me. And that's the selfish perception. It is a black hole that can never be filled. John D. Rockefeller was interviewed toward the end of his life, and the reporter was asking him, now that you have almost every, everything you could wish for, more money than you can use in two lifetimes, John, what else is there for you? And he said something along the lines, I just want a little bit more. It's easy to feel this. It's easy to fall into the come and be blessed church mentality. As God's people, we are really kind of geared in our society to view what is in it for me. But the church is not just about coming to be blessed. 
the liturgy that we follow, the liturgy actually means the work of the people. The work of the people? The work of the people. If you didn't know it, you're going to know it now. Sunday is your first day of work. Your calendar even tells you this. And it's our first work to worship the Almighty, to bring sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. That's what we're on earth for, and guess what? That's what we're going to be in eternity for. If we come to the church to get, we will always leave empty. But if you come to serve and give, I guarantee you, you will always leave full. They were selfish. Then the next character in the story, Philip. What do we know about Philip? What was his perception? Well, Philip was calculating and logical. He was the Dr. Spock of the apostles. I could hear him, and in my mind this whole past couple of days, I'm just sitting there thinking, I can hear Philip saying, that's highly unlogical, Jesus. That's highly illogical, Jesus. He was calculating. Jesus didn't even ask him how they were going to buy bread. He asked him where. But Philip was all, he was figuring out already where to buy the bread. Where are we going to get the money? Uh, who would have enough bread in stock to feed this multitude? How are we going to get there? How are we going to get the bread back from there? I don't have a cart. Do you have a cart, Peter? I don't have a cart. <laughs> who left the cart? What if the crowd started following us to the bakery? It would be like Philip went to Wendy's across the road there and said, I would like to have a combo number one with a Diet Coke, no ice, to feel good about all the other calories, you know, you have to balance it out with the diet drink. And uh, these other 500 guys, they're on my, 5,000 guys, they're on my tab. Get that picture in your head. Philip said, um, it's highly illogical, Jesus. There's no way. What is his perception? Analysis paralysis. The what ifs in the house paralyzed him because he was limited by what he could see, what he could think, what he could perceive and understand on his own. One person came to Thomas Edison and said, hey, Thomas, why don't you just give up giving that crazy light bulb idea? You've tried a thousand times and failed. I like Thomas Edison. He said, well, I kind of think I found a thousand ways how not to make the light bulb. Different perception. And we've come up with a very cute name for this kind of person. It's called a devil's advocate. According to the, not the orthodox, southern orthodox theological dictionary, but the urban dictionary, the devil's advocate is one who argues a cause or opinion simply for the sake of argument, not really concerned about the cause. I don't think we need devil's advocates. Beloved, I think we need almighty advocates. Those who just don't see obstacles, but opportunities. Those who don't just see the problems, but also possibilities. Those who, 
realize it's not a time for a migraine, but it's a time for a miracle. Because faith is only possible when things are impossible. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Go ask Abraham and Sarah. They would tell you, yeah, we were old, we were wrinkled, we were shriveled up. But God gave us a baby. Go ask Gideon. Talk about a strategy of war. Gideon, you're crazy. 300 men, we're going to yell and scream, break clay pots and blow trumpets. And there's multiple armies down there. But God defeated them all. Go ask Daniel. Oh yeah, I had a great time with the lions. They make great pillows, he would tell you. Noah, by faith, he built an ark in the middle of dry land. Who builds a boat in the middle of dry land? They never saw rain. God said it's going to rain. I didn't know what he's talking about, but I built the boat anyway. Faith is only possible when things are impossible. The third perception in this story, my, one of my favorites, Andrew. St. Andrew, quite possibly the greatest saint there is. Why, you may ask? Because he's the patron saint of Scotland in golf. You cannot get better than those two things. We all know what Scotland's famous for. Haggis. You thought I was going to say something else. <laughs> what do we know about Andrew? He was always bringing someone to Jesus. He brought his brother. He brings this young boy. He was clear on his resources, but didn't understand what they could do. He was eager to help, but didn't have much hope of a positive result. Andrew basically made this miracle possible by bringing this boy to Jesus. It lets us know that we should not underestimate small actions. Small gestures have huge effect in the kingdom of God. A pat on the back, a smile on the face, a little card sent in the mail. I appreciate you so much. May you the greatest in the world. An old German schoolmaster would remove his cap every day before class and ceremoniously bow to his students every day. One day, one little guy came up to him and said, uh, schoolmaster, why do you always do this? His answer was, you never know which of these boys will do something great one day. What they might become. You know who one of his pupils was? Martin Luther. Small gesture made a huge impact. What's Andrew's perception? Eager to help with little expectation. And lastly, have you figured out who the last one is yet? The boy. My hero. The man. The only one that's ready to do something. What can we learn from the lad? He was the only one prepared. His mom made sure he had his lunch. 5,000 other unprepared people. 12 disciples unprepared. But this little guy was ready because his mama must have been from the Philippines. Because they never let you leave the house without something to eat. 
didn't have much. Barley was the cheapest of all bread. It was described as the food of animals and the absolute poorest of the poor. Uh, He most likely did not have prime tilapia organically farmed to his table. He probably had a couple of fish about the size of sardines, pickled to preserve it. Who wants pickled fish? I want pickled pickles. (laughs) Basically, he had a lunchable. All of those have elementary school students know what I'm talking about. Those fool things you pay a fortune for and there's four bites of food in there. He had a Lunchable. But what was this young man's perception? Instant obedience. Thomas Akempis, as only he could say, said this. Instant obedience is the only obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. What can we learn from this young man? First of all, what Philip needed to learn, never assess a difficulty in light of your assets. The boy could have enjoyed his lunchable, but he ended up at the barley bread and sardine feast that Jesus had. Did you notice it says in Scripture they all ate and were filled? The word filled means they had no room for anything else. It was like after eating Thanksgiving dinner. You were ready for what? To roll over and snore. They were full. This little guy reminds us what Paul would later write. We walk by faith, not by sight. He saw his lunchable. He saw 5,000 men. There's no way. But yet he also saw Jesus. And he handed it over to him. Jesus was the same one. The same God who provided. And this is staggering to me when I saw this this week. God provided over 12 million pounds of food a day for Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Man, we give out like 5,000 pounds of food on Saturday at the food pantry, and that looks like a lot. 12 million pounds. Why? Because Jesus is the source. Whatever is in our hand is the resource. Our resources are not the source. This little guy got that picture. Never assess a difficulty in light of your own assets. What did this little guy also realize? Number two, Jesus will only transform what has been transferred to him. Jesus didn't expect that boy to have lunch for everybody. He just wanted that little guy to place it in his hands. His lunch was small in quantity and poor in quality. But Jesus is the transformer. He is definitely more than meets the eye. We realize we don't have the ability, but Jesus does. Maybe you feel 
small in quantity and poor in quality. Believe me, I know it all too well. I sympathize with the five loaves and two fish. If someone would have told me in my backward, introverted, I only had one friend in school. From the third grade to 12th grade, one friend, because he's the only guy I wanted to talk to. Backward, shy, just give me a fishing pole and leave me alone. Talking in front of people, Mm -mm. never. Playing music in front of people, no, that's for my bedroom. I was a rock star in the bedroom (laughs) and petrified in public. If they would have told me when I graduated high school what God was going to do, I would have laughed them down. But that summer of graduation, I placed myself in Jesus' hands. And he made all the difference. He did things there is no way I could have ever done. Jesus can only transform what's been transferred to him. Don't hold on to it. Let him have it. The last lesson from this little guy. Wow. Jesus can do great things in a desolate place. Luke says the place was very desolate. Because the desolate place cultivates this quality that is so beneficial for living active, dynamic faith. What is that quality? Desperation. In comfort, many of us wander. Be honest, when things are easy, I don't need to pray today. Read the Bible? I read it yesterday. You go to church, man, it's 70 degrees. I need to go call EB and let's hit the links at Maple Chase. God's out there too. Say a prayer to St. Andrew. He'll be all right. (laughs) We're lulled to sleep by ease. But in the desolate place, we don't have the luxury of indifference. You will either run to Jesus or run away. The desolate place causes us to be open to radical solutions. Desperate people seek with an all-consuming intensity for they know their life depends on it. The psalm this morning for the daily office, yes, the daily office still is on Sunday too, is Psalm 34. I want to read a few verses for you. Just listen to how amazing and beautiful this is. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Wow, David must have wrote that when he was on the throne. 
sitting in Jerusalem, all the enemies defeated. They're chanting his praise and amazed. At, they're amazed at his, his awesome army. But that's not when David wrote Psalm 34. David wrote this psalm when he was fleeing from Saul. He goes to the priest of Nob and says, Hey, I mean, I had to leave in a hurry because uh, Saul's after me. I don't have any weapon. Do you have anything here? Um, yeah. Uh, Goliath's sword, whom you killed back there behind the ephod. He grabbed it. And where does David head? He goes to Gath with Goliath's sword. Who is the most famous person from Gath? It's not Charles Barkley. Goliath. The people begin to recognize him. David gets nervous. The great warrior, the one anointed to be king, pretends to be insane, scribbling on the doors of the gate and lets his saliva run down his beard. The king finds out of Gath and says to his royal court, I have enough madmen around me. Kick this guy out. And he winds up in the most pleasant of all hotels. David ends up in the cave of Adullam. And to top it all off, all the people that were in distress, in debt, discontented, gathered to him, 400 men. And in that setting, he writes, oh, magnify the Lord with me. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. Those 400 men, do you know who they became? David's mighty men. Undefeated in battle. God can do great things in our desolate places. But we have to have the right perception. You can have the crowd's perception. Get, get, get. If it's free, it's for me. You can be Philip, paralyzed by your analysis. You can be Andrew, eager to help without much hope. Or you can be the lad, instant obedience, willing to give what we have to Jesus. Let it go into his hands and let him transform us and do great things in our desolate places. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.